0: Let's pray as we get started in this uh, important work of preaching and listening. Father in heaven, uh, please speak through me now by the power of your Holy Spirit and the power of your word uh, to bring hope, to bring challenge, to bring rebuke, to bring encouragement. Uh, God, help us to work hard together uh, to glorify you in our church. Help us to be a healthy church. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, this week I got my blood report back from Cornerstone Family Health, uh, Health Associates, and I had uh, gone there for a, a checkup the other week. Not really my favorite activity to sit and give blood for tests, but they, they tested a, a bunch of different things like HDL and LDL cholesterol levels, triglycerides, uh, glucose sodium, that type of thing, and, and my levels came back healthy, which I am thankful for. Health is, uh, thank you, all right, well, you don't have, I mean, you can clap for that, that's fine. <laughs> healthy, uh, health is a great gift from God. Um, we know that even more when we experience bad health, and then we look back on what good health is, and, and we know what the, the experience of bad health uh, feels like. And, and, and I don't think any of us really wakes up in the morning thinking to ourselves, I hope I feel terrible today. I mean, we all wake up wanting to feel good. Everyone wants to enjoy good health. The last two weeks, we looked at 14 traits of a healthy Christian. Conversion, need, passion, truth, fight, worship, prayer, love, works, discipleship, family, accountability, giving, and worldview. Not an exhaustive list of what the healthy Christian is, but it's certainly a good start. And I hope that the Spirit is working in you to motivate you to take a look at some of these things and to pick out maybe a couple of them to start working on to become more healthy yourself. For the next four weeks, we're going to look into 16 traits, four each week, very manageable, of a healthy church. Again, it's not a complete list, it's not all there is to say on church health, but the purpose is really to highlight some of the more major things in church health, areas of church health, to help us understand what it is we as a church are working toward. We want to be a healthy church, and so we want to work towards that. And, and I hope that you, as part of Jerusalem Church, want to be healthy. At the same time, I, I hope that you realize that God is calling Jerusalem Church to be healthier. We are not as healthy here as we could be. Howard Hendricks said, "The reason so many of us feel we're doing so well is that we don't know what we're doing." And uh, and I think that he's right. Many churches feel healthy because they don't really know what God has really called them to do. Are we healthy? Well, I love Jerusalem church, don't you? Christina and I were, were excited to come and we're excited to be here. Uh, we've really enjoyed coming and serving God with you, our friends here at Jerusalem. Um, I want us to enjoy good health as a church and, and I look out at, at the ministry of this church and I see signs of health in this church. We're growing and I think that we're experiencing new life. And I'm very encouraged by what God is doing in our church. In fact, I would say that I've never seen the Holy Spirit work like I am seeing him work in this way at Jerusalem Church. It's very exciting for me to be a part of it because this is unique for me. This is new for me. And I'm really excited about that. I'm thankful to God for Jerusalem Church. But I also see some unhealthy things here. And so do you before Christina and I accepted the call to come to Jerusalem Church, we noticed things about Jerusalem Church that were spiritually unhealthy. Some of those things were described for us in the search process and some of those things we just saw naturally on our own. But we knew that coming would mean working hard together, leading to restore health in this church. And something that that doesn't happen unless God shows up and brings the health. We can, only, we can only work for His glory. And so we came to Jerusalem church knowing that Jerusalem church needed revitalization, which means it needed vitality, it needed new life, it, it needed change that only God could bring, and we came deeply desiring to see Jesus Christ bring change to this church, To grow healthy. We are here for that specific reason. Now some of you are very, very sensitive. I tend to be on this side. Maybe not in this situation. But in a lot of areas. Sensitive to change. And may wonder why all the talk about change. I mean this is Jerusalem that I've always known. And and we tend to hold on to some things. And you wonder why all the talk about change. And the simple answer is. We need to change to be spiritually healthy and faithful to God. We cannot become a healthy church unless we change some things altogether and improve other things. So hopefully what this series does will help you answer some of those questions that you may have. It hopefully helps you better understand the motives behind the change, what types of change we're talking about. And what the ultimate purpose of change is, to be healthier for God's glory. More focused, more faithful, more fruitful. We don't want to be a status quo church. Going through the motions church. We want to be a healthy church. We want to be a growing and alive church. Are you committed to doing whatever it takes for us together to work together to become a healthy church? And I hope that the overwhelming answer in your hearts is, let's get it done. Let's get it done. Let's do it. Whatever it takes to become healthy and glorify God, let's do it together as a team. So we need to continue to evaluate what we covered the last two weeks and continue to think through as a church together where we're going in the next four weeks. The healthy church, number one, keeps the gospel at the center of everything. Keeps the gospel at the center of everything. The gospel is at the center of absolutely everything in a healthy church. Mark Dever, the pastor of Capitol Hill Baptist Church in Washington, D.C., said this, quote, The gospel is the good news. The gospel isn't just a sort of feeling that we might have. It's not a result of having Jesus as a friend or example or to live right. The gospel is the good news that tells us the truth about God. End of quote. The truth about God must be at our center, at our core. What is the gospel? Well, Paul summarized the gospel in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. Listen to what he said. For I have delivered to you as of first importance, first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. In short, the gospel is the person and work of Jesus Christ. A message of how a holy God reconciled us to Himself by offering His only Son in our place as a payment for our sin so that through repentance and faith in Christ alone we might have eternal life with God. That is the gospel. And notice that Paul said that the gospel was of first importance. It is the most important thing. It is the core. It is the center of everything that we do. There is nothing more important than the gospel. Now, the baseball, I played baseball when I was younger through uh, high school. The baseball is iconic in American culture. Uh, each year, the, the 30 major league baseball teams pound through about 900,000 baseballs as a league. I found that pretty interesting. And, and uh, how these baseballs are made is really important it starts out with a cork pill what's called a pill it's a a little ball a cork ball a little smaller than a golf ball that's made of cork and that it is round and coated in two layers of rubber and then from there you have three layers of yarn wool yarn the last layer is a a synthetic blend I guess of wool and uh, cotton and that gives it elasticity and memory to repl- so that it doesn't get dented in things. That it wool is very uh, elastic, I guess, and, and has the memory to return to its shape. And uh, then you have this uh, leather hide that goes around it and that is stitched with 108 stitches of red thread. 108. I guess every baseball is 108. And what really gives the baseball its pop off the bat is the core. The core. The core makes a difference. The pop of the church at its core is the gospel. The gospel is the core upon which we must tightly wind everything. Our church must be like this leather coating that is stitched to the core of the gospel by the blood of Jesus Christ. Any church with a different core loses its pop. It loses its pop. We must keep the gospel at the center. Imagine what would happen if a church put tradition at the center or personal preference or secondary doctrinal issues. Imagine what would happen to a church that put itself at the center of its ministry. They would inevitably deteriorate into liberal, ingrown, irrelevant, ineffective, and eventually dead churches. Unless they return the gospel to the center did you know that around three hundred and forty thousand churches in the united excuse me in the United States need revitalization? That means seventy to eighty percent of churches in the u s are either stagnant or declining. That means an overwhelming amount majority of churches need to make some serious changes to experience life and vitality did you know that between 3,500 and 4,000 churches die every year in the United States. Now, let that sink in. Today, on average, 10 churches will die and not reopen their doors next Sunday. Why? Somewhere along the line, they lost focus on the gospel. Of what this was all about. Jesus Christ Our church should be united in this, that we will change anything if it helps us manifest the gospel with more clarity and more passion. Healthy churches keep the gospel at the center of everything. The healthy church also, number two, loves and worships God from the heart with excitement and devotion. Got to have the gospel at the center, and you got to have this passionate love and worship for God a devout love and worship, an obsessive love and worship from the heart. Every healthy church loves the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, and mind. In Revelation 2, Jesus chastised the church in Ephesus by saying this, I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Healthy churches have not abandoned Christ, their first love. They have a deep affection for Jesus. They really, really love God. Worship is also essential for a healthy church. Love and and worship, in fact, go hand in hand. When you love and adore and revere God, then you truly worship. Worship is spirit-led intentional concentration on and enjoyment of God in the heart and mind which inevitably spills over in outward expression of committed service and communicative reverence we communicate our reverence we let we let what's in the heart spill out over into our actions worship in the bible is often outward like someone bowing down their face to the ground or kissing someone's feet or a carrying out some religious rite or ceremony, a worship service, what we're doing here is an opportunity for us to express worship through praying, singing, listening to God's Word as we're doing right now, tithing, participating in the sacraments, and so forth. But it's not worship itself. Because it's just going to be dead liturgy, dead orthodoxy, dead ritual if our heart is not fully engaged with God. These elements become worship when they overflow from a loving heart. Take singing, for example. Psalm 28, 7 says this. My heart exalts. That's with a U. Enjoys. My heart exalts and with my song I give thanks to Him. So as the heart enjoys God, the lips give Him thanks. Psalm 84, 2 says my heart And flesh sing for joy to the living God. True worship is an expression of love. The love of God in the heart, whether we're taking the Lord's Supper, praying, tithing, whatever. Expression of what's in the heart. Biblical worship is also serving God. Serving God. We worship God when we serve Him faithfully in all of life. When Jesus fought temptation uh, from Satan in the wilderness... He referred to Deuteronomy six, thirteen, and 14. And this is what Jesus said. You shall worship the Lord your God in Him only. You shall serve. Jesus worshiped and served God by fighting temptation and fulfilling the covenant for us. And so maybe, maybe this week God's going to impress upon you to serve the Lord Jesus Christ by fighting sin with new tenacity and excitement. To be a healthier church, we need to worship God more through serving others locally, nationally, globally. What Tim said this morning is very appropriate in a way that we serve God by loving other people beyond ourselves. We must do this. We must be committed as a church to this. We don't want to be a church that just throws money at things. We want to be a church that throws ourselves at things. And that sounds kind of violent, but it's supposed to sound compassionate. You throw yourself at things. Not other people put it all together. Worship is never, never going through the motions. That's not worship. Worship has heart. At the core of worship is enjoyment of God. Now, Christine and I, we enjoy going to nice dinners from time to time. At nice restaurants, not simply because of the complimentary warm bread and entrees. I always like the places that have either free chips or free bread or something. They're always better. Um, But we go because we like to enjoy time together. We enjoy each other. So if we're having a nice dinner together, and I'm more concerned about the football game on the big screen behind Christina, we have problems, folks. (laughs) We have problems. This is not healthy. Um... She is not honored by that. She delights that when she she is my delight. So she is happy when she is the center of my attention and happiness. Not over Christ, but second. Christina's second in my life. She delights when she is more than the bread or the big screen. When we come on Sundays to worship, our focus should be on enjoying God and expressing that joy together in a way that pleases God, that is according to His Scripture. When we leave, we leave united in the mission of going and serving others in the name of Jesus Christ so they give glory to God our Father in heaven. We serve Him in the routine of every day. Healthy churches love and worship God with heart. With heart. We must have heart. God will help us with that. Holy Spirit will bring heart. In addition, the healthy church, number three, prioritizes and enjoys preaching, teaching, and applying the Bible. The gospel is at the core. It's at the center. We must love and worship God with fanatical devotion. And we must prioritize and enjoy preaching, teaching, and not only that, it doesn't stop by hearing, applying the word of God that we hear. All healthy churches place great emphasis on preaching, teaching, and doing God's Word. Preaching is proclaiming, teaching is explaining, and applying is necessary with both. Preaching is a heralding great news to people. Heralds were ambassadors of the King, sent out to publicly announce important information. Preaching is heralding. It's announcing the relevant and all-important message of God the King, Preaching is conveying something which God intends us to hear and believe. Paul said, how are they to hear without someone preaching? People must hear the truth of God through preaching in order to believe it and in order to enjoy it and in order to obey it. Sadly, many churches just don't preach. Some replace preaching with drama or share time or a little devotional talk. But most people, most churches, send somebody up into the pulpit to say something. But when they get up there, what they do is not preaching. Preaching is not psychology, self-help, the preacher's sentiments, advice, or a self-esteem boost all mixed in there with Bible. Preaching is not dialogue or entertainment, or story time. Preaching is proclaiming the powerful gospel of Jesus Christ and pleading with people to believe, pleading with people to enjoy, and pleading people to live for Christ. All throughout the Bible, we see God raising up preachers, God raising up prophets to proclaim His Word, to tell people what He thinks. Teaching, on the other hand, which we'll get to in a little bit, is instruction. It's explaining the content of the gospel. Where preaching proclaims the gospel and calls people to listen and respond, teaching explains the gospel and how to respond. Preaching reports that Christ won the war. And teaching explains the implications of his victory. All good preaching includes teaching, or you could say exposition, In 2 Timothy 4, Paul instructed his young protege Timothy to preach the Word as he led the church in Ephesus. This is a pastor who's over uh, people as one of the elders there. And so Paul says, I want you to preach the Word. Timothy was to broadcast God's Word. Paul continued, be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and Teaching. so he was to patiently teach them as well preaching is exposition or a comprehensive description and explanation of a biblical text for the purpose of right understanding and immediate application no waiting i will do what god says now immediate application Preaching is exposing Jesus Christ from Scripture and explaining how it's all about Him, who He is, and what He has done. Expository preaching, therefore, is heralding Christ as the central doctrine of Scripture. We are not primarily called to preach morality or called to preach a message of do something. We are primarily preaching Christ and what to do in response to what He has already done. Done. All good preaching is saturated with the person and work of Jesus Christ. It's all about Him. Jesus gave His life to preaching. You ever thought about that? And healthy churches give their lives to it as well. Jesus preached in the synagogues, Jesus preached in the temple and in the countryside. Jesus said in Luke 4 43, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent. For this purpose, God sent His one and only Son for the purpose of preaching. In part, healthy churches put a great emphasis on preaching and teaching the Bible. Preaching is worship. Teaching is worship. No church can be healthy without a regular proclamation and teaching ministry of the Bible. You simply cannot be healthy. The gospel must be at the center Now, you may not be called to preach and to teach in a formal way, like I am and like some of our teachers are, but God calls you to prioritize preaching and teaching by listening in order to apply. We listen in order to apply. You should always listen in order to believe and respond. Believe and respond. Preaching and teaching should also fuel your personal Bible study. The method of my preaching is actually training you how to do the work of Bible study yourself. I just walk through verses most of the time, if it's not a topical sermon like this, walk through the verses and I'm asking questions about the text and and I'm seeing what God has communicated. You must do this to be faithful and how you listen and, and, and how you're trained by this to do it on... Uh, Do it on your own. So, good preaching and teaching is training. The content of faithful preaching and teaching is God's Word, the Gospel, which centers on what God has accomplished through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Much preaching today is man centered, not God centered. It's very moralistic. It's me, 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 and do, do, do. And that's what you hear. And that's very oppressive. That's a burden too heavy to bear. What does the Bible say about me and what I should do is pretty much the philosophy today, but that's not the essence of the Bible. The Bible is not a life manual for us. It's not principles for a better life. The Bible is one God-inspired book about God and given by God to reveal God to people who need to know God. Of course, the Bible talks about us, but we are not the central purpose. God is. God is. I want you to turn to Romans 1. Uh, Grab your pew Pew Bibles if you don't have one with you. 796, always a good idea to bring your own Bible. But turn to Romans 1, page 796. I want you to see this for yourself Romans 1, verses 15 and 16. This is what Paul says. So I am eager to preach. Preach what? The gospel to you also who are in Rome. Paul was eager to preach the good news. Verse 16, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the what? The gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Some churches seem to be ashamed of the gospel because they're not preaching it. It's not at the center of their ministry. It never is proclaimed or explained in great detail or depth. Do better is not the powerful gospel. Tips for conquering your fears is not the powerful gospel. How to have your best life now is not the message of the gospel. Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, is the powerful gospel. So we preach and we teach him. Notice in verse 16 that the gospel is the power of God to everyone who believes. So we preach that gospel, we teach that gospel, and the application is that everybody needs to believe that gospel and needs to, to, to base all of their life on that gospel. Why preach and teach anything else? What more do we have to say than Jesus Christ and Him crucified? The good news of the gospel, where the power and the punches. Nothing else has the power to grow and to save. Healthy churches only preach and teach the gospel because that's where the power is. And healthy churches want powerful ministry. They want effective ministry. They, they, they want impact in the community. And this is why Acts 5.42 says, Every day in the temple from house to house, the apostles did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. He is the anointed one. He is God's chosen one. He is the only Savior available to us. And so we must bow the knee to Him. How precious Jesus is. How awesome the gospel is. How powerful the gospel is. And to borrow the words of Paul, woe to us if we do not preach the gospel. There are too many churches preaching something other than the gospel. We will not be one of those churches. And you as the congregation must help us as a church preach and teach the gospel help by accepting nothing from this pulpit and nothing from those classrooms except the gospel. And if you start smelling something that doesn't smell gospel, you say something. So you have to be quick to recognize and to be able to know biblical truth so you can discern and help protect the theological and doctrinal purity of our church. Help our church by growing yourself in doctrine Study the Bible so that you can better discern what is preached and taught so that you can better grow and better apply what is preached and taught. So that brings us to our last point for this week. A healthy church, four, adheres to sound biblical doctrine and theology. We must preach. And the gospel must be at the center of that. And love and heart must be at the center of that. And what comes out of my mouth and the teaching ministry of this church must be sound, biblical doctrine and theology. Healthy doctrine and theology are very important for healthy churches. And in an age of religious tolerance and multiculturalism and relativism, which is a poison in our culture, doctrine is often demonized. If you believe anything or make any hardline stance on anything, you'll be ostracized by people. That's just what American culture is now. Every church has doctrines, but not every church has healthy or sound doctrine. Not every church contends for orthodox biblical doctrine, and not every church refutes unhealthy and poisonous doctrine. Do you find it interesting that in the New Testament there's a lot about refuting false teachers? So, guess what that means for guys like me? We can't just tell you the truth to be faithful to Christ. We have to tell you who not to believe, and sometimes people sitting out there love certain people, and they're not good teachers, and I have to come say, you shouldn't be reading who you're reading. You shouldn't be listening who you're listening to. They're not good teachers. They're not faithful to God. That's very hard work uh, and hard to do lovingly and not be misunderstood, Every healthy church delineates clear doctrinal lines and boundaries. Paul wrote in 1 Timothy 6, 3 through 4, listen to this. If anyone teaches a different doctrine, that just means teaching, and does not agree with the sound words or the healthy words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching or doctrine that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. Harsh words. So sound and healthy doctrine exists and it comes from Jesus Christ and it conforms with godliness. And if a teacher or a church doesn't conform to that healthy doctrine, they are prideful and they are ignorant and need to be rebuked. When churches move away from biblical doctrine and theology, they move away from godliness. You'll see it time in and time out. Theological liberalism breeds immorality. And there are thousands of illustrations to turn to in churches and denominations all over the world. Paul knew this was a slippery slope. So turn, turn to 1 Timothy 1. I don't have the page number for that, but 1 Timothy 1. Again, I want you to see what's happening here. Paul's letter to Timothy, as he's pastoring the church in Ephesus, there were false teachers in Ephesus teaching really bad theology about the law. And Paul was helping Timothy to correct that. And Paul listed, he goes on to list this bunch of sins, just all kinds of sins that people are engaged in, um, including murder, sexual immorality, homosexuality, and lying. And he ends by saying this in verse 10, 1 Timothy 1, verse 10, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. Now that's fascinating. All those sins that he listed are contrary to healthy doctrine and biblical thinking. Doctrine is directly linked to holiness. What a church really believes determines how it really behaves. Compromise doctrine and you compromise holiness. So we must think right in order to live right. Our lifestyle will follow our belief system. So the way that you're living right now practically says a lot about what you actually believe. There's so much to say to define sound doctrine, but I I want to introduce five simple points of doctrine, which were the lifeblood of the Protestant Reformation, and they serve as the essential tenets of our church. So if you have a a pen, I know there's no sermon notes here, but just drop down these five things, uh, if you will, to ponder them. The first one is sola scriptura, or scripture alone. Scripture alone. The foundation of our doctrine and theology is the scripture alone. Nothing else. No person, no group, or creed. The Bible is the sole authority for our doctrine. Number two, sola gratia, or grace alone. Grace alone. We are saved by God's grace alone. Our merits contribute nothing to our salvation. Number three, sola fide, or faith alone. Scripture alone, grace alone, faith alone. We are justified by faith alone. Our merits contribute absolutely nothing to our justification. We are counted as righteous in God's sight solely because of the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ credited to us. Fourth, solus Christus, or Christ alone. Christ alone. We are saved by Christ alone. It is only the merits of Christ that save us, and he is the only mediator between us and God. The last one, this is on my email, so look for it the next time I send you an email. Soli Deo Gloria, or to the glory of God alone. To the glory of God alone. The unadulterated gospel gives glory to God alone and leaves absolutely no room for anyone else or anything to receive any glory. It is all for his sake. Scripture alone, grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone, and to the glory of God alone is a simple but it's a really profound summary of good orthodox biblical doctrine that should help us understand what the scripture is all about. Healthy churches revel. They party. They enjoy These five points. Are they core to your theology? Have you heard of these things before? Are you all about these things? They should be central to all your thinking. Turn in your Bibles to Acts 17. Acts 17. I want you to see the role that you play in preserving the doctrinal purity of our church. It's not just for pastors, it's not just for teachers, not just for preachers, it is for the congregation as well as the pastors, teachers, and and everyone else associated to keep an orthodox doctrine. Paul and Silas are sent to the town of Berea and they taught the gospel in the Jewish synagogue. Now I want you to watch how these people responded in Acts 17 verses 11 and 12. Acts 17, verse 11. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness. Stop there. They wanted to hear God's word. They received God's word. And so continuing in verse 11, they examined the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. The Bereans heard what Paul and Silas were teaching And they wanted to evaluate it themselves according to God's Word to see if what we're hearing is what God wants us to believe. Healthy churches are filled with people who study the Bible for themselves and discern what they hear by the Bible. Everyone is a theologian sitting in this church. You all have a systematic theology that you ascribe to. You are a theologian, and God desires you to study his word and to believe what is in there, to contend for the faith. Acts 17, 12 then says, Many of them therefore believed with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. Men and women believed because they saw the teaching in Scripture and they saw that it was true. That is biblical discernment from the people. The consequences of you of a congregation failing to protect doctrinal purity Are very grave. They're very serious. Paul said to Timothy, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching or healthy teaching or healthy doctrine, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. And that happens in churches all the time where they have their own sin that they want to hold on to. And if the preacher gets up in their grill and starts saying some things that they shouldn't be doing and starts preaching the gospel, they say, "Uh uh-huh, I'll just go down the street.'" I'll go to another church that affirms my sin and what I want because their Bible understanding is different than yours. And so I'm just going to go over there. This happens all the time. People even leave churches because they're convicted under the preaching of the word or they fire the pastor and get someone who can stroke their ego or help them justify their sin. Happens all the time. The truth becomes so intolerable that they avoid it. They run from it. Every single one of you is a theologian, so I encourage you to grow in your theology and doctrine. You should be feeding yourself, not primarily relying on me to spoon feed you, but learning yourself. Doctrine, thinking, belief, delineating a line. Saying this is what God's word teaches and this is what I will believe. In Ephesians 4, Paul explains that pastors and teachers were given to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And for building up the body of Christ into maturity. And then he writes, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. By human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. So pastors and teachers are here to help but you have to be thinking and discerning on your own, running whatever you read, whatever you watch through this filter of God's word because you study it and understand it. You must know enough to discern whether the pastors and teachers who are bringing you are accurate to God's word. You test. Don't believe what I say. Believe what God's word says. And if I say God's word, then believe it. And if I vary. Then you come and say, Jonathan, I didn't quite understand when you said. T-t-t-t. All right. How do you get to know a person? You ask them a lot of questions, and then you listen to their response. And you ask follow-up questions. So how do you get to know God? You listen to his word. You come to him through the scripture. All heretics have something in common: they don't know or listen to Jesus, they teach their own inventions. You listen to Jesus every time you humbly pour yourself over his word with a voracious appetite to understand rightly. You find yourself pleading with God, just help me to understand, God. This is confusing. Help me to understand. I'm going to read it again. I'm going to read it again. I'm going to ask more questions. Help me, spirit. Lead me, spirit. Healthy churches take doctrine very, very seriously. And they don't swerve to the left or the right. When the newest fad doctrine comes out, when the newest book is published... That they're like, ooh, pretty cover. And you know, that's what I do. Oh, that looks awesome. But it might be terrible on the inside. All right? We don't, we're not swayed by the New York Times bestseller list. Who cares about the New York Times bestseller list? We need to care more about the scripture and what God says. So everyone wants to enjoy personal health. But when it comes to church health, are we willing to do what it takes, the hard work, to become a healthy church? We have to ask some questions. We have to listen to what God says as he speaks in. So when a change comes and you're like, I don't know, I don't know, this feels weird, then start asking, what does God say about this? Is this a biblical change? Will this help us put the gospel forward more effectively? Because if so, I'm on board. If so, I support that. It's gospel-centered. Let's, let's pray. Father in heaven, I pray that your spirit will be working during this time of the next four weeks and beyond that we could really dig into your scripture, your word, of what a healthy church looks like, so that we can be that. So we want to be healthy Christians, but we also want to pour our heart and soul and time into producing a healthy church here that takes the gospel to a lost world, that takes the gospel to people who don't know Christ yet. So God, I pray that you would give us favor. I pray that you will help us to better understand for the sake of your great gospel and the sake of your great son, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray.